good morning, church. Okay, we can do way, let's turn this up, the lights up a little bit there if you would. Let's do better th than we just did. Good morning, church. We are glad that you are here this morning, and uh, if you're a first-time guest, my name is Doug, and I am the East Campus Pastor, and we were in a series called The Gospel of John, and we've broken from John this month to talk about who we are as a family. Hopefully you picked up on that tune uh, through the title package there going, okay, what's this idea about we are family? Well, we believe as a church, as a local body of believers, that we're called to be a family. Do you believe that? Say Amen. And so we really believe that. And so we've been talking about what we want people to know who we are as a family and what we believe as a family and how you can become part of this family. That's been our entire uh, journey this month of January. So we've been talking about we are, and we began by saying that we are purpose-driven. That as a local body of believers, as Cross Life East, that we are deeply purpose-driven. Here's what that means. It means our mission and our vision drives everything that we do. For example, we talk about this in week one, that our, our mission that we believe simplified is simply this, to love God and what? Okay, you might want to wake up this morning. Let's try that again. To love God and what? Love people. Some of you were reluctant because you had to love some people this week and you were regretting that moment, right? So we are called our mission as a body, but also as individuals, is to love God and to love people. So we're purpose-driven. Everything we do, from how we plan our worship to the events we do to the decisions we make, are filtered through the lens of how does it better help us love God and love people? So we are purpose-driven. Last week I talked about how we are rooted and that we are grounded, that there is one source that we will go to, that we lean on as the sole authority of our life, and that source is God's Word. That everything it says, we believe it, and the reason we're so rooted in Scripture, the reason we ground ourselves in Scripture as a church and as a body of believers is because, first and foremost, is because it is inspired by God. We read it last week that all Scripture is breathed by God. All this comes from Him. But not only do we, are we grounded in because all Scripture is inspired by God, but also because all Scripture, he says, is profitable. It teaches us, it corrects us, it rebukes us, it trains us in how to live a life that's honoring and pleasing to him. And so as a body of believers, whether it's in our small group hour or the worship hour, we will always be a people who go back to the principles and the truth and the precepts of God's Word, not man's opinion. Can I get an amen on that one? Now, I was talking to someone this week about uh, last week's sermon, and they said, man, there's an article you need to read. And I wish I'd had it last week, but I, I read it this week, and it comes from a group that's called the Center for Bible Engagement. So there's an organization out there that does polls about reading the Bible, and they were talking about being grounded in Scripture, like we talked about last week. And I know for sometimes we talk about that, it's like, okay, yeah, I need to do it, but it's not a real priority in my life. Well, listen to the poll they took. They said that when a person commits to read God's word one time a week, it almost makes zero change in their behaviors and their decisions. When someone commits to read God's word twice a week, it tends to make zero impact on their decisions and, the, and their behavior. When someone reads God's word three times a week, it says, the poll said that it made no changes in someone's life whatsoever in their decisions and how they did life and their behaviors. But people who read the Bible at least four times a week, which is the majority of the week, something radically changed in them. Those people said things like this. They were 228% more likely to share their faith. 
They were 400% more likely to memorize scripture. They were 59% less likely to view things online they shouldn't be viewing. They were 30% less likely to struggle with loneliness. 68% less likely to go out and to live promiscuously. They were 74% less likely to gamble and to squander what God has given them. 57% less likely to form habit, uh, habit-forming behaviors. And 231% more likely to truly lean on God for every decision they make four times a week. Do you know how they came to that conclusion? It was this. Because when we engage God's word once, twice, three times a week at most, how are we engaging God's word? We're engaging it like this. Well, I need to go get me a nugget of information that can just get me through the day. Just get me through the week. But when you engage it at least four times a week, what they learned was this, that those people, they are truly doing what we sang about a while ago. They're seeking the Lord. They want to hear from the Lord. And as they seek him and as they hear from him, guess what happens? Life changes. So I pray that you know as a body of believers, we are rooted and grounded in Scripture, but it's also the call of every believer to be rooted and grounded in Scripture. Now today, there's one more thing, or another thing we talk, I want to talk about before we wrap the series up next week, and that's as a church that we are committed, that we're committed. And here's what I mean by that, that whether it's in our small group hour with our teachers or on this stage, we believe in challenging and spurring one another on to commit to a higher level of obedience in how we live our lives. So when you're in small groups, why do you think the teachers spend so much time talking about knowing God's word, but how to apply it to your life? Why do they do that? Because they want us to understand that we've got to take God's word and we need to make a higher commitment to a higher level of obedience to do what God's word says, right? Well, at the end of every message, how do we end every message every week? With an invitation. Sometimes it's a come forward invitation. Sometimes it's stay where you're at. But every invitation typically goes like this. Wherever you're struggling in your commitment to the Lord, would you make a commitment to a higher level of obedience in whatever the area is? So in this church, for as long as I'm here, we will be a church that is purpose-driven, a church that is rooted in Scripture, but a church that is committed to challenging one another to live a life of greater obedience to the Lord. Now, there's a lot of areas we challenge one another There's er- uh, in the area of obedience. We challenge each other uh, in the area of like, um, you know, as it comes to relationships. You know, we want to challenge people. Like when you're in relationships with people, you've got to learn some things to do. Like you've got to learn how to deal with conflict. Anybody ever had to deal with conflict? Nobody in the middle section, right? Well, people on the sides have, and it's coming, right? So we've all, we've all learned how to deal with conflict, right? But do we go to God's word for that? You know, do we lean on that? We've also, you know, we, we've, we've, we've got to make a commitment to that because if not, conflict can go south in a hurry. What about forgiveness? Anybody ever had to learn how to forgive somebody? Right? And so we've had to make commitments in the area of relationships. We've got to make commitments in the area of our decisions. We make decisions every day. But what is the compass that we use to make those decisions? Is it being obedient to God's word or is it personal preference and bias? And so we talk about that. We talk about other areas we need to commit to. And it's not just relationships. It's not just decisions. How about our priorities? How many of you struggle sometimes keeping your priorities in order? Don't we all? We let the urgent trump the important all the time, don't we? All the time we do that. And so we talk about that. Here's another area that oftentimes we challenge each other to be committed to a higher level of obedience. And it's in the area of finances. 
that we believe that we need to be uh, uh, honoring the Lord even in our finances. So we, in all those areas, we come back to God's word and we see the truth of God's word and we challenge one another and hopefully spur one another on to commit to a higher level of obedience in all those areas. So today, here's what I want to do. I want to take one of those areas that I just mentioned and then challenge us to a higher level of obedience in that area. And the area I'm going to talk about today is in the area of finances. Now, I know anytime and the pastor gets up, and if you're a first-time guest today, you know, listen, this is something that's important to us because what you're going to hear from this platform is not my opinion. It's not my, it's not my bias. It's strictly the truth of God's Word. So it's coming from Him. So if you're upset today, tell God because I, I, this is straight from Him. And when we talk about finance, I think one reason we get so uneasy, because I've been where you're at. I've sat out there before when I was younger and, and heard messages and you get uneasy. I think one reason we get uneasy when people talk about finances is first of all, because we feel like they're infringing on our business. Like, it ain't none of your business, Pastor, right? I mean, it's that kind of thing. Like, hey, what I do with my money is none of your business. And so there's a lot of people that feel that way. And so we get uneasy because you're speaking on something that's, that, that's not your business. Keep your nose somewhere else. I think another reason, maybe more importantly, I think we get uneasy because sometimes we truly know that our view of our finances is probably not God's view of finances. And quite frankly, we're just not sure that we really want to make a change. So here's what I want to do this morning, if you'll allow me. I want to take a moment, and I want to talk about the truth of tithing. I just want to talk about the truth of tithing, and I want to give you five biblical principles. And we're not going to be one passage like we normally are, not one passage. We're going to be in a few passages. But I just want to give you five principles about finances and about biblical tithing. Five principles that come straight from God's Word. And here's the first principle, and it's this. You ready? Number one, God owns what? Everything. Everything. Let's try that again. God owns what? Everything. Everything. Psalms 24.1 says this. This is the Psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's and all the fullness thereof and the world and those who dwell therein. In other words, God owns everything. Everything we have belongs to him. Everything you think you own belongs to him. Everything belongs to God. In fact, if we were a parent here today, I would even go as far as to say we need to realize that even our kiddos belong to the Lord, right? That's why we do parent dedication right here because we want parents to go, hey, listen, I'm going to raise my kid in a way that honors you, but I know, God, they belong to you. I want you to radically change your lives and use them. So everything belongs to the Lord. Now, let me ask you, I mean, if you look at our lives, we've got a lot of stuff, don't we? Many of you in the room live in a home, right? You live in an apartment. You may probably did not ride your bicycle here today, but you somehow either were transported, but you got here somehow today. All of you, thankfully, have clothes on this morning, right? All of you. I don't know if you have deodorant on, but at least you have clothes on. So we've accomplished one of those things. But, you know, if you thought about it, God owns everything. He owns your home. He owns the vehicle that got you here. He owns the very clothes that are on your back. Everything belongs to him. Now, here's my point. If he owns it all, if everything is from God and he owns it all, what does God deserve us to give back? Well, the truth of the matter is he deserves everything, doesn't he? If God is the giver of all things, which the Bible talks about, every good and perfect gift is from 
above. If God is the giver of all things and he gives us and he lavishes all this stuff on us, should not we desire to give everything back to him? You're like, Doug, well, that's crossing the line. Well, th- but shouldn't that be our heart? That I'm going to give everything to you? Anybody with me this morning on that one? But you know what? That's not what God requires of us. As much as God has given us, he doesn't ask for all of it back. He doesn't require for all of it back. All he asks for is a percentage back, a small percentage back. And listen, I want you to hear me say this morning. Maybe this is new to you. The reason that God asks for a percentage of what we have to give back to him is not because he's broke. It's not because he needs it. Because remember, all things are owned by him. Why does God ask us to give a percentage back to him? There's two reasons. Here's the first one. Greed, number one. God knows your and I heart. He knows that we wrestle with greed. In fact, if you were to study the New Testament, Jesus talks about money as much as anything else in the New Testament. Why? Because he understood the greed that we face. In fact, he says in Matthew chapter 6, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also, right? Like what you value the most, man, that's got your heart. And if the almighty dollar is the chief pursuit of your life, you're going to struggle with greed because here's what greed says. You ready? Greed always says this, I need what? More. More. Greed is never fully and finally satisfied. And so the reason God asked us to give a small portion back to him is not because he needs it, because he wants to protect us from greed, but also he wants us to express, secondly, our gratitude. God, I recognize everything I have comes from you. Hey, husbands, do you know how you got your wife? You're just not that good looking. That's what I'm going to start with, all right? You're probably not that charming. Your jokes definitely aren't that funny. I'm sorry, didn't offend you. But they're a gift from the Lord, aren't they? That's where men should say amen. Are they a gift from the Lord, right? Ladies, even though you are that beautiful, do you know where your gift that was good, wasn't it? Sonia will listen to this in a couple of days, so I had to throw that in there. So ladies, as, as beautiful as you are, do you know where your husband came from? He was a gift from the Lord, amen? Yeah. They're a gift. Everything belongs to him. And while we should give it all back to him, he's like, no, 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 I don't want it all back. I just want a piece of it back because I want to protect your heart from greed, and I want you to give to me to express your gratitude and your love for me. Now, listen, it is crucial that we get this. It's crucial that we can declare this morning that God is the owner of everything. Because, listen, if he's the owner of everything, you know what that means? We are the owners of nothing. If he owns it all, you and I owe nothing. We are just managers. We are just stewards of what God has entrusted us with. Several years ago, when I was in student ministry— I like to use my boys as guinea pigs for different illustrations I was going to do. David was too small for this illustration, so this wasn't David, but I took James and Daniel, and, and I put them, and they didn't know I had a video camera in the kitchen, and I, and I put in, in front of them this candy bar, and I said, you know, whatever you do, uh, if you can sit here five minutes, and I opened the candy bar up so they could smell the aroma of the chocolate. I said, if you will, I know it was mean, but I did it anyway. So I put it out there and said, hey, listen, if you will go five minutes without eating this candy bar, when I'm, when I'm done doing something, I'll come back and I'll give you the candy bar. I mean, it seems like a fair deal. 
And so I leave the room for five minutes, and I didn't know what the video was going to show till later, but my oldest kid, who I thought was like the most, you know, the most, he was going to go after it and just apologize later and go and eat the candy bar, didn't even, I mean, he looked at it and he stared at it, but he knew, okay, dad has given this to me to just watch it and to manage it, but not to take it all for myself. Now, my middle son was not like that at all. I literally have video footage of him standing over the cho- on the countertop, standing over the chocolate bar, b- biting his, ch- chopping his bed, going, ah, yeah, yeah, like he's going to eat this candy bar. Now, he never touched it, but he struggled realizing he was to manage what I gave him instead of taking it all in for himself. And I think we're there sometimes. You look at your homes and your bank account and your cars, and, and instead of responding, going, God, thank you for all that you've given me, and I'm going to give a portion of it back to you, sometimes we forget that we're managers and stewards, and we just want more, 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 and more never satisfies. And listen, if we're going to have a biblical view of finances and tithing, number one, we've got to commit to say, God owns everything. Amen, church? Amen, church? Second thing I want you to notice is this. Tithing is an act of obedience. Look at me, Malachi chapter 3. This is where we're going to spend most of our time. We've talked about this passage before, but I want to highlight a few things I've not really highlighted in the past. It says this in chapter, six, or chapter 3, verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Here's what God says. Will a man yet rob God, or will man yet rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, how have we robbed you? And he says, in your tithes and your offerings. In your tithes and your offerings. You are cursed with a curse. For you are, you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now, I want you to notice something. The nation of Israel, over and over and over and over and over again, and over again, rebelled against God, didn't they? If you study anything in the Old Testament, they just keep rebelling. They, 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 you know, like the book of Judges is the perfect place to go read. The book of Judges, they follow God, they rebel against God, God brings a judge, they chastise them, he disciplines them, they start walking with God, then they rebel against God, then God would, I mean, just the cycle they go through, and they continue to rebel against God. But in this particular situation, to the nation of Israel, to the Israelites, God only calls out one way they rebelled against him. One way. God could have called out many ways. He could have called out idolatry. He could have talked about following other other belief systems. God could have called out a lot of stuff at this point in the history of Israel, but he called out one issue. He called out the tithe. And you notice what he says there to him. He says, you are robbing me of the tithe. Now, I did a little, look at a little words, and you know, burglary is when someone breaks into your house, right? Are you with me on that one? You know what robbery is? Robbery is when someone possesses something that does not belong to them. That's robbery. And God, out of anything he could have chosen in the life of Israel, he chose money. He chose the tithe. And here's what he said. Listen, out of all that I've given you, you are possessing something that doesn't belong to you. You, Out of all that I've given you, instead of you giving a tithe or a 10%, which is what tithe means, instead of you giving it back to me, you are keeping it to yourself. And it doesn't belong to you. Just a quick question. 
Is that same truth true for us today? It is. It is. Now, I'm not calling anybody a robber in the room, but if the shoe fits, we got to put it on this morning, don't we? If that's how we are living our lives, we got to be honest about that. And he says, listen, here's the reality. He's like, some of you are stealing from me, and when you steal from me and you rob from me and you keep what doesn't belong to you, that's not an expression of gratitude. That's a lack of gratitude. But what I love about this passage is God doesn't stop there. He tells them this. He tells them there's a way back. There's a way back for you to make things right with me. Look what he says again. He said, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how will you return? Will, we, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But he says, how have you robbed me? In tithes and offerings, listen to this, verse 10. Here's how you, your way back. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Here's the way back if you're robbing God, he says. If you've been robbing me, you've been possessing something that didn't belong to you, here's your pathway back. You ready? Start being obedient and tithing. Be committed. Be committed to give to me what belongs to me, not to you. And if you follow that trail through much of the Old Testament, here's what you find out, that giving the tithe really means to be intentional about your giving, to be planned in your giving, and to be systematic in your giving. That's really what it's talking about. So a nation that is robbing God, do you think they were just going to go, well, you know what, I need to start doing it, and then he started doing it. No, no, no. They had to be intentional in doing it. Like, I'm old school. I don't know about you guys. Uh, some of you do it online in Realm, and that's great. I write a check. Now, some of you don't even know what a checkbook looks like in a room. I get that. I write a check. You know why? Because I know that I've got to be intentional. I can do it on Realm and the app too, but I, for me, it's a, it's a way that the Spirit uses it in my life. I know it's got to be planned. I know when I'm going to do it. It's got to be systematic. I mean, it's got to be a rhythm in my life. He said, look, here's your way back. You got to start giving. You got to start tithing. And you've got to be planned and intentional and systematic in the way you do it. Because why? If you aren't, if you're not intentional, if you don't plan it, <coughs> excuse me, if you're not systematic, you won't do it. Now, I want to share this with you. I've been in, I started ministry when I was 18 years old, and I'm 50 now, so whatever that math is. Early in my ministry, <coughs> I struggled with this. I lived in Walnut Ridge, Arkansas, and if you had a map, you still couldn't find that. And I went, and I was a youth pastor in a place called Wardell, Missouri. It also is not on the map. And it was 90 miles away. And so twice a week, I was, Sonny and I were married. We were driving 90 miles one way. So 180 miles twice a week, 360 miles. And back in the early 90s, I had a car um, that I called her uh, a Brown Bertha for a lot of different reasons. Um, uh, but she leaked water. It was really bad. And so the car, and it was a gas guzzler. You remember those cars that just, like every time you pass the gas station, you felt like you needed to stop and fill it up, you know? And it was one of those kind of cars. And we were traveling back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And, and we've been married about six months. And Sonny goes, hey, I noticed when they passed the plate, y'all remember those days, right? You don't ever put anything in. Why is that? Immediately, my face got flush. Hairs on my neck stood up. And the Holy Spirit began to convict me. And I gave the worst excuse in the world to while we, as a staff member on a church, were not tithing to the Lord. And my wife chastised me, rebuked me, and said, we will make this change. And the Holy Spirit spoke through her. And I tell you, I'm ashamed to tell you that story. But there was about a three-year window early in my ministry that I was robbing God. 
I would love to tell you in my 20s, I didn't struggle with that again. I did because we had kids and we know the excuses we make when we have kids, right? Like, you know, they need stuff <clears throat> like food to live on, right? And they need like diapers and, you know, need stuff. And so I find excuses. And once again, God began to convict me this time. And so it's been about 25 years now that it's not been an issue in my life, but it started with being a real issue. And I was on staff at a church serving the Lord and I was robbing God. So anybody can be someone who fits into this category. And I had to learn if I was going to be faithful to God, it had to be intentional, had to be systematic, and it had to be planned, or I wasn't going to do it. And so if my life is anything, but it is intentional, it's planned, and it is systematic now. And I know some of you out there thinking, well, Doug, you know, well, wait a minute. Well, you know, we're New Testament, so I'm not even sure New Testament that the tithe is even relevant. Well, it is relevant, and it is still part of what God wants from us. In fact, you can just look to the words of Jesus, and we don't have time to turn there, but Jesus says a lot of stuff about finances. He says things like this, like the only compliment he ever gave the religious leaders was that they were tithers. He called them snakes another time, hypocrites another time, but the only compliment he ever gave them was that they gave what belonged to God back to God. He also said stuff like this, like, <clears throat> you know, I've come not to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill the law. He said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God, what belongs to God. In other words, even Jesus operated in this mindset that your tithe still belongs to the Lord. In fact, the interesting thing about the New Testament is Jesus even raises the bar. We've talked about that, Luke chapter 12. He talks about the guy who built barns and kept throwing more stuff in it, and so he kept building bigger barns, and then he eventually died. And Jesus says, listen, his story was a tragedy, which is going to be your story if you refuse to be rich toward God. In other words, Tithing was the bar, but what God wants is us to be rich toward him, to be grat show our gratitude toward him. And so when we think about the tithe, and the truth about the tithe is simply this, is that God owns everything, and tithing is an act of obedience. Let me give you a third thing real quick. Tithing brings blessing. Let's go back to verse 10. I don't think we talk about this enough. I think it scares us to talk about this sometimes. Bring the full tithe in the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby <coughs> put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I, listen, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. Now listen to what he says here. He says, I'm going to open the windows of heaven. That's a reference that goes back to the Old Testament. You see it a couple times in the Old Testament where God opens the windows of heaven, and sometimes God pours down rain. Sometimes God pours down judgment. But in this case, what does God promise to pour down? Come on, what does he promise to pour down? Blessing. He said, I'm going to pour down blessing. Now, when you think of God's blessing, please, let's not, we're not a name and claim at church. So if you think, I'm going to give $10 to the Lord because that's my tithe, God's going to give me 100 back. We don't believe that. But we can't expect God to bless us. How does God bless his people through, all throughout Scripture? Through provision and protection. That when people love God and are obedient to God, what do they receive from the Lord over and over and over and over again? His provision and his protection. He even goes as far to say that you will get so much that you will have no more need. That God is going to provide for us and protect us to such a level that our needs, which he knows and sometimes we don't know, even those needs will be fully satisfied. Now, I'm not saying we should give to get. Because that sounds terrible, doesn't it? But I'm saying we should give because we want the, 
the doors, the windows of heaven to be open, and we want to see what God has for us. Don't you want his provision in your life? Don't you want his protection in your life? Don't you want the, the blessings of God to come so much in your life that your needs are met for? Don't you want that in your life? I do. And I love what he says. Test me in this. Do you know this is the only time in Scripture God ever says to test him in anything? In fact, Jesus says we're not to put the Lord of the God to the test. But this is the one time in Scripture that we are told it's okay to test God. In other words, God, I'm going to hold your feet to the fire. I'm going to be faithful to do what you tell me to do. And I want you to be faithful to do what you promised you would do. And that's to bless me, provide, and protect me. See, we need to understand that if we finally get on board that everything belongs to God, we must understand that tithing is an act of obedience. But tithing also brings blessing. The fourth thing I want you to notice, and this is maybe the most exciting to me, is that tithing allows ministry to happen. Look at verse 10 again. He says this, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. That there may be food in my house. This is an interesting reference because it's, it's, the application it has some ambiguity to it because food in the house of the temple meant a couple of things. First of all, it meant they had money to provide food for those within the temple, in the synagogue, and those outside the temple and outside the synagogue to make sure their needs were met. That's one side of it. The other side of it was so that the priest could be taken care of. You may not know this, but in the Old Testament, there were 12 tribes of Israel. And when they finally got the promised land, they finally made it over there to where God wanted them to be. God allocated different allotments of land for each tribe. But there was one tribe that got no land. It was the tribe of Levi. Now, was God mad at them? No. Because the tribe of Levi produced all the priests. They were the ones that vocationally were going to work in the temple and do God's work. And so they weren't going to work a land. They were going to work in the temple. They were going to do the ministry of the kingdom. And so they were to bring their tithe so they could have food in the temple and the synagogue to provide for the needs of the community, the people in the church, and for the priests that live there. And that truth is still true today. The reason that we, the tithing allows ministry to happen here at our church. In fact, because of the tithe, because our church is faithful to tithe, you're able to have pastors and ministers and directors that are able to serve and vocationally, like myself and Drew and others, can do what we've been called to do so that we can help navigate and and to build up the kingdom of God and equip the saints to do the work of the kingdom. That's one side of the tithe. But another side is that you and I have the privilege of doing ministry. A couple of weeks ago, we laid out a budget that we were proposed, that we voted on a few weeks ago and said, this is what we're going to, We're going to do this year. And if you looked at the budget correctly, here's what you saw. Because of the ties, here's the kind of ministry we can do this year. Here's the impact we can have this year. That means we can have a kid's ministry that's going to thrive and have all that they need so they can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and lives can be changed. We're going to have a student ministry that can thrive and do all that it needs to do because they're going to have the funds necessary to reach people with the good news of Jesus. We're going to have all the funds necessary so that we can go out and do community service so they can reach Wedgefield and Avalon Park and Cypress and Corner and Bithel and everywhere else around here because we're going to have the resources to go and to serve our community because of the tithe. Listen, tithing today still helps us and accomplishes the ministry that needs to take place. Can I get an amen on that one? Now, can I just brag on you for a moment now? Are you okay with that? Only Nancy's okay with that. It's okay if I brag on you. 
That's like a kid walking to their dad, and the dad goes, can I brag on you? I'm not so sure about that. Right? You're going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Last year, this church, through t- only the tithe, not even considering what was given to the land, last year gave more than it's given the 10 years of existence by giving almost over $700,000 last year. This church gave. Yeah, let's give the Lord some praise for that. And listen, the tithe that was given allowed us knowing meat budget but exceed our budget and be able to put money aside to continue to help us with what God has for us in the future and even do ministry we weren't even planning on doing. And so this church has been faithful to do that. This is the fifth year in a row that this church has given more than what our budget required because there's people in this body of believers that believe that tithing is an act of obedience, that tithing brings blessing, and that tithing helps us do ministry. Let me give you one more thing as I close. I want to wrap up with by sharing with you, if all of this is true, I want you to know the heart behind giving. In 2 Corinthians verse, chapter 9, verse 7, it says this, each one of us must give as he's decided in his own heart. Now, pause there for a moment. He's not talking about a tithe here. He's talking about another, another offering that's going on. But what we catch a glimpse of is the heart of a giver that I want to talk about for a moment. He says this, each one must have decided in his own heart, not reluctantly, or under compulsion, for God loves a what? A cheerful giver. Now here's what the Apostle Paul says. Here's the heart behind giving. Here's the heart you and I should have behind giving. Number one, we should have a heart of generosity. Do you know what triggers generosity in everybody's life? Gratitude. When I think about what God has done for me, when I think that all that God's blessed me with, when I think about how God has provided and protected me, I want to express my gratitude. And one way is by taking the very thing in my life that sometimes wants to get on the throne of my life and giving it to him. And that's my tithe. And one way, the heart of a giver should be a heart that's filled with generosity, that you're overwhelmed by what God has done for you. And the only way you can express it is by giving and being faithful to give back what God asks of you. But also the heart of a giver is one that is cheerful. We talked about this maybe four or five years ago. What would happen if our team of people who get up and lead us into the time of taking the offering, whether it's through the box or online or check, what would happen if we like broke into a rally cry? Like we started cheering because we now have a privilege and an opportunity to give back to God. What would that look like? In fact, if you're a first time guest, wouldn't you think we're crazy at that moment? But that's the heart of a cheerful giver. Somebody goes, hey, listen, this is, this is not mine, and I can't wait to give it to God. I can't wait to give it because I know what's on the other side of this. I know there's blessing on the other side of this. There's obedience on the other side of this. There's a relationship and intimacy with Christ that's going to be grown because of this, and I'm going to give it cheerfully. Listen, we need to be cheerful in how we give. Don't give begrudgingly. Don't go, oh, I don't want to write this check this week. <laughs> I don't think Jesus had that attitude when he went to the cross, did he? Like he said, Father, forgive them. For they know what they do. We've got to have a heart that's cheerful. And then last of all, we've got to have a heart that's willing to do it freely. You know, he said not out of compulsion, of oblig- uh, not of compulsion, but the idea is I want us to give as a body of believers not because we have to, but because we want to. Hey, men, Valentine's Day is coming up. And I know your wife better than you do in this regard. She doesn't want you to buy her flowers because you have to. She wants you to buy her flowers because you want to. Aren't those gifts received a little differently? Like if you buy her flowers because you have to, you know what that's going to look like? It's probably still going to have the price tag on there, right? 
especially if you buy them at Publix. It's going to have a little price tag on there because you want to know what you paid for them. It's probably going to have a card that came with them and you wrote, love you, and that's all you did to I mean, So you did it out of obligation and compulsion, not freely, out of love you have. Listen, hear my heart more than anything else. Don't you ever give a penny here out of compulsion or obligation. You give because God has changed your life and your heart and you want to obey him and you do it because you want to do it out of your generosity and you want to do it out of a heart of cheerfulness and you want to do it freely, not because you have to. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. As you think about the tithe, as we think biblically about the tithe, I want you to remember this morning that everything belongs to God. God owns everything. Amen? Amen. And that tithing is an act of that obedience. Tithing brings blessing to us. Tithing allows ministry to happen in the local church. But I want you to know the heart of a giver. And that's what I hope you have this morning. One that feels a great deal of generosity. One that is cheerful. And the one that wants to give freely. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do this morning. I'm going to ask you, all of us, if you're a first-time guest here, all we ask of you today is to fill out that response card that, that Abby talked about and just let us know you're here today. But for everybody that calls Cross Life East your home, whether you're a member or you've been here for a while, you know, man, I, I want to plant my life here. I want to ask you to take a step with me this morning. Start somewhere in your giving. If you're not giving anything, give something. See what God's going to do. If you're what I call a random giver, like you go through your pockets and you got like $3.75 and you give that, wonderful. But would you consider being more planned and systematic and a percentage? And if you're a tither in the room and you're given 10% of all that you have, would you consider what does it mean to be rich toward God? I just want to challenge us as believers. This is an area that many believers, I, I've talked to many, many believers struggle in the area of obedience, and I was one of those. But when I got victory over that, man, I can tell you story after story after story how God has provided for me, how God has protected me, how God has blessed me in ways that has blown my mind. And so this morning, I just want to challenge you to take a step. Now, here's one way you can take the step. If you worship folder today, if you'd grab that envelope that's in your worship folder. Everybody grab that envelope that you have in your worship folder as we get ready to wrap things up this morning. Grab that envelope. Now, this is something that we do at Cross Life. They've been doing this, I don't know, 20, 25 years. And this is one way to help us make a commitment. Now, I know not all of you are going to do this, and that's okay. But I want to challenge you, if you're a member of our church or you really bought into here and be part of this, we want to ask you if you felt led to take a moment and fill this out. Today, you can do it again next week. If you don't have one of these, raise your hand and we can hand you one of those. But ultimately, the goal of this is, is that you say, hey, look, maybe I've never tithed, but I want to begin. Or maybe I want to continue to tithe. But ultimately, this is your way of saying, okay, over the next 12 months, here's what I feel like God is going gonna, is gonna to allow me to give the church the next 12 months. Now, why is that important? Listen to me. Please don't miss this because we don't always talk about money here. We always talk about obedience here. But don't miss this. Why is this important? Two reasons. Number one, if we're called as individuals to be good steward of God's money, shouldn't we as a church be good stewards of God's money as well? Come on. Amen to that? And the best way for us to be a good steward is if we had some idea of what the people of God are going to do so we can know how to plan ministry throughout the year. That's why this is important. I promise you, nobody, I will never see your card. I only see my card. There's no one going to call you mid-year and go, hey, guess what? You're giving way too much money back down a little bit. Slow it down a little bit. Nobody's going to call you and go, hey, you're way behind. None of that's going to happen. None of that's going to happen. I promise you, if you do, I'll go throat punch somebody. It's never going to happen. 
It's not going to happen. This is just simply so we can have an idea of how to plan our budget so we can be good stewards. But the second reason this is important, because I'm kind of wired this way, is my way of making an individual commitment between me and the Lord. And I know that sometimes when I write it down, it's more like contractual in my mind. So I know I'm committed to that. So I want to challenge you to take some time today and to fill this out. As you leave, there's baskets on the, on the table. We have the offering baskets. You can drop it in there. You can do it again next week. We'll have the opportunity there. And I really want you to pray about this. Now, I, want you, I want to leave with this thought. Put the envelope for aside for a moment. The most important commitment I want all of us to make today as a believer is a commitment to greater obedience in our finances. So you may have never done the card thing before, and that's fine. But don't miss the point today. Where are you at in your obedience with your finances, whether you're a teenager or a senior adult on fixed income like my mom? Where are you at? And will you commit to being obedient with what God has entrusted you with? And my prayer you will be, and my prayer is that you'll take time to do this so that we can be good stewards of what God has given us too. Let's all stand together if you would. Everybody stand with me. Everybody stand. Every head bowed and every eye closed.